Hey everyone, hello and welcome back to Science A Candle in the Dark for our first full reboot episode. Uh, I am Dr. Madhusudan Katti speaking to you from the campus of North Carolina State University where I am a professor in the Department of Forestry and Environmental Resources and also in the Cluster for Leadership in Public Science. And uh, you're about to soon meet my new co-host for this show, Dr. Katie Mack. Uh, who's an astrophysicist and also a colleague of mine in the public science cluster. And this first episode is just going to be the two of us talking mainly about uh, Dr. Mack's work on the structure of the universe and, and the beginnings and the end of the universe. So in some ways, it's kind of a mind-blowing conversation. And uh, I want to say before we get started, uh, happy Thanksgiving to all of our listeners, all of you who are in the U.S. and celebrating Thanksgiving this week. Uh, and uh, I, I think by the end of the, this episode, uh, you might find yourself feeling even more thankful for being alive in this moment in the scope of the history of the universe. So uh, without further ado, here's our first episode. Hello and welcome to Science, A Candle in the Dark, a reboot of the podcast that started in, in the Central Valley of California and is now being uh, coming to you from a studio at the fabulous Hunt Library on the campus of NC State University. And it's my great pleasure to introduce my new co-host, Dr. Katie Mack from the Physics Department at NC State. Uh, Dr. Mack is a theoretical astrophysicist who joined NC State just this past January and we were lucky to have her here uh, as part of the public science cluster. So I'll ask her to say more about herself. Hi, um, I'm happy to be here. So yeah, I'm not sure what to say about myself. I'm an <laughs> astrophysicist. I study the whole universe from beginning to end. So I study how the universe started, how it might come to an end. Um, I am interested particularly in dark matter, which is some kind of mysterious stuff that is most of the matter in the universe. And I'm also interested in just weird things in the cosmos and uh, how we can learn about the sort of fundamental nature of reality by studying big things out there in space. That's weird things in the cosmos, I think, could be, should be the theme for our show, <laughs> I feel like. That's kind of the the direction we, we should be going in some ways. Uh, uh, just a reminder to people, I'm, I'm a biologist, so we have a biologist and an and a astrophysicist co-hosting the show here, and we're yeah. going to be... We don't have any guests today, so this this first episode, we're just going to be talking to each we, other. We are guests of each other. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let me start by asking you a little bit. I mean, you gave a quick intro on mm -hmm. the topics you cover, and one thing I do promise you I'm not going to ask you is what is it like to be a woman in science? Because <laughs> <laughs> I know that's a question that you get quite often. Uh, yeah. So let's talk about the science you actually do. Okay. So uh, tell us, can you sort of give a, uh, you're teaching an, an astronomy class, into astronomy class, yeah. right? So what can you tell us or tell me? I have not had a physics class in a long time. So, uh, as I ask this question, I, I, I might remind you of this 
quote from the physicist Leo Szilard, which I really like, where he said, uh, "Assume infinite ignorance and unlimited intelligence." Mm. Now, that, yeah. not not particularly about me, but I think for <laughs> a, for a collective audience, we can assume that, and 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 that's what I try to keep in mind when when I try to, when I'm talking to people outside my discipline. Yeah. So, how did the universe begin? What do we know about it now? <laughs> okay, so we'll, we'll yeah, we can start start at the very beginning. Yes. Um, well, so we don't know for sure. What we do know is that the universe was hotter and denser and in some sense smaller in the past. So this is the, this is the Big Bang Theory. When people talk about the Big Bang Theory, most of the time people think that means, oh, the universe started as an infinitesimal point. And that's not really what the Big Bang Theory says. Okay. Ultimately, what the Big Bang Theory says is that the early universe was hot and dense and the universe has been expanding since that time. And as it expands, it cools and it becomes less dense. That's the Big Bang Theory. And and the way that we know that is that we actually can see the light from when the universe, the whole universe was on fire. Like we can see the, the sort of light from the mm. cooling universe um, that, you know, was in that fireball kind of state uh, during its first several hundred thousand years. And then it's been cooling since then, and as the universe cools, uh, the the sort of radiation from that hot time spreads throughout the universe, and we can see that kind of leftover afterglow mm. of the time when the universe was was hot and dense in the very you know early days, and so we can see that directly, and by studying that light, we can learn about you know, the conditions at that time, and we can make inferences about what might have happened before that fireball time. And by looking at that and, and studying, you know, what we know about physics at really high densities and high temperatures, we can also learn about, you know, when the particles came into being and when particles got mass and all sorts of interesting things about those early times. And we can get back to, you know, a tiny fraction of a second after whatever set the whole thing off. But we don't know for sure like what happened before you know some some very small fraction of a second uh, after whatever the beginning really was and hmm. the leading idea is that in the very early universe there was some kind of rapid expansion we call that inflation and then everything kind of came out of that inflationary stage but in terms of what happened before that we don't know and that was like 10 to the minus 35 seconds. So okay. how how to express that in, in fractions? I mean, I think it's, yeah. like, it's like a billionth of a billionth of a billionth, somewhere around there. Yeah, I was um, actually going to ask you if, you if, get if, if even the concept of time existed or applies then. Yeah, I mean, you can define time that in mm -hmm. that sort of era. Um, time makes sense, but the, the kinds of times we're talking about are so small that it's it's hard to visualize it in any way we're used to thinking about. I mean, we talk about things like the electroweak era, and that's less than a tenth of, like, that's about a nanosecond. Like, we call mm -hmm. that an era, you know? Um, so <laughs> okay. it's a different yes. way of measuring time. And, you know, you have you have these extremely rapid high-energy processes, and so it's it's kind of hard to talk about in the same way that we talk about, you know, time the way we experience it. But but we can define these things and we can calculate to, you know, a very tiny fraction of a second after whatever the very beginning was, we can calculate what was happening. 
But what we don't know at the moment is, you know, did that inflationary expansion really happen? And what was before that, if there was anything before that, you know, that that part is still like the frontier in terms of early universe physics. Hmm. And that compressed time frame sort of is fascinating because as a, an evolutionary biologist, I tend to think about longer time periods mm. in in the history of this one planet that we know. Well, we also deal with huge times. I of mean, course, in cosmology, yeah, because because yeah. those that early yeah. period, uh, we're talking about thirteen point eight billion years ago. Mm-hmm. And so there was there was a period of you know about three hundred thousand years when a whole lot was happening. The universe was this fireball plasma yeah. state, and then at the end of three three hundred thousand years or so. That that fire started to cool, and the universe became yeah. mostly sort of cold, neutral hydrogen. And then that time persisted for a really long time. Okay. Um, huh. And then at about half a billion years, the first stars started to turn on. Okay. So so that's millions and millions yeah, of years yeah, of, course, of yeah, very yeah. little happening. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then you know the first stars started to turn on around half a billion years, and then after that. Um, you know, you just have this kind of buildup of stars and galaxies and structures and and all of that, all of cosmic history. <laughs> and, you know, w- the time frames for those things to happen, I mean, it, it was our our solar system started about five billion years ago. Yeah. So, you know, we talk in, in billions of, of years. Course, of course. So yeah. the fun thing about being a cosmologist is, is, we, is I can deal with this huge range of scales. So I'm I'm talking mm-hmm. about, you know, ten to the minus thirty five seconds in the early yeah. universe. Yeah. And I'm also talking about, you know, ten billion years in terms yeah. of the evolution of galaxies and things. And I'm talking about scales on, you know, tiny particles that, you know, are the, the smallest um things that we can conceive of. And then I'm also talking about something that's, you know, the the entire yeah. observable universe, which is some ninety something Light year, billion light years across, and so so all of those scales are relevant to the kinds of physics that I talk about because what I'm trying to do really is understand the ultimate nature of space and time, and mm-hmm. and you have to deal with these huge swings and scales to encompass all of the physics that's that's happening. Wow, that that is kind of mind blowing, and I'm also thinking if it feels like you go through these, I mean, there are short bursts when a lot happens, punctuated by long periods of time when nothing happens or very little happens. Yeah. So anytime you're dealing with like a physical process, one of the things that really determines what the time scale is, is kind of how much energy density you have, how much stuff you have that's like ready to happen. And, Mm -hmm. and so you just have all these different time scales that you have to deal with. And especially as a cosmologist, you know, I'm I'm dealing with trying to understand fundamental physics, which we usually think of as like the physics of particles and space itself. And you, you we try and learn about that by studying the large scale universe and also the like deep time. And so when we think about the early universe, we're talking about really small scales and really small times because a lot is happening and, and physics physically is changing when you get to those kinds of energy densities, those kinds of time scales. Yeah. And then we also look at how the, the universe evolves as a whole because that gives us other clues to sort of fundamental nature of reality. So we have to kind of keep jumping back and forth between these tiny time scales and these huge time scales based partly on like what's happening on those scales, but also on like what we're trying to learn about the universe. 
Yeah, so I guess that that makes it sort of part of the weird and wonderful nature of what you're studying. Yeah, yeah. And I'm also thinking in terms of, you know, as an evolutionary biologist, we talk about similar changes in scale at which events happen in the evolutionary history of life on Earth, which is, of course, a small part of right, the, right, right. the cosmic timeline. But even if you look at the fossil record, we talk about these periods when there's, like the Cambrian explosion, where there's a sudden appearance, apparently, of lots of different organisms mm -hmm. that are novel in the in the fossil record. And then, mm -hmm. and then longer periods of time where things sort of seem to either stay stable or gradually change. Right, right. And then you might have another punctuation. Mm -hmm. This is called the punctuated equi equilibrium theory. Right. So you might have a punctuation that might be in the form of a, a mega extinction event. So there's been, there have been about five of these. That right. Right, like the one that killed off the dinosaurs, which yeah. is the, the, the KT boundary. Yeah. Right? So K slash T, where yeah. you'll know what K and T stand for. <laughs> Cretaceous but, and tertiary, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. So it's, it's the, yeah. It's the last big mega extinction event we talk about. Mm -hmm. And, of course, you know, KT, you remember it because it refers to your name. Yes. <laughs> but you're not an extinction event. No, <laughs> I hope not. Although you are writing a book about the end of the universe. We'll talk about that, that in a minute. That is true, yeah. Uh, but the 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 in the geological record, you sort of get these boundary events, mm -hmm. and, and they're referred to as boundaries because they're literally boundaries between layers of rock, right? Where right. you can see a transition happening. So it's kind of a physical timeline in the fossil record that we can. Right, and there your boundary about. is is because a big physical event happened yeah. to the Earth, yeah, and so that affected what the layers look like, but it also affected how life is living exactly. on Earth because you're drastically changing the conditions in which life yep. can exist, right? So Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. so in, in ecological terms, there's like a, a massive change in atmospheric chemistry, the massive change in the amount of light even, especially mm. if, if there's a meteorite striking the, the Earth, then you talk about these big clouds of dust that might obscure sunlight. And all mm. of these sort of causes changes, which then affect lives at the level of individual organisms. And that's right. kind of the scale that I mostly work with. It's trying to understand how individual organisms are responding to changes mm -hmm. in the environment. And when you get these drastic changes happening, you end up with a lot of species simply unable to cope. And right, they, then right. they just die off. So it's not as if a meteorite hit and there were fires and all the dinosaurs burned to death or something like that. It's just that gradually, you know, or... Mm -hmm. There was a catastrophic event, like a volcanic explosion. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the earlier, I think the Permian extinction, I think was marked also by a lot of volcanic activity. So the mm -hmm. Earth itself has some internal processes that generate yeah. these significant changes. And the biggest change that's happening, well, we can talk about that at this at some point, but maybe not in this first episode here. But we are we are living through perhaps another mega extinction event. Right. Yeah, I mean, we there are um, there are periods in cosmic history where the sort of environment of of the cosmos changes drastically. Yeah. So, so you know, in the Big Bang, you had this this uh, environment where the universe was hot and dense and full mm -hmm. of this sort of plasma, and then what, at some point that cooled and you, you, it changed the the situation so that you know in the in the early universe it was it was like being inside a star or a fire or something like that like photons are bouncing around and electrons are bouncing around and everything is kind of tangled up and then when that fire kind of cools just by the universe expanding 
then light is some some suddenly able to travel long distances and we call that like we call that a sur- the surface of last scatter mm. because it's it it's it's like a surface in distance because oh, when you okay. look far into the distance you're looking yeah. back in time so it's it's really a transition in time but as as so that's cosmologists of a, of a geological time. yeah it's like a it's yeah, like a layer, layer like a rock layer oh, um but we we see cool. it in in sort of space uh-huh. uh but that's because space corresponds to time but mm-hmm. so we have that that um transition where you go from a very highly ionized universe to a neutral universe where you have the protons and electrons are able to come together and the light is able to travel between them and so you have a a universe that's full of mostly cold neutral hydrogen for a long time Mm. and then after the stars and galaxies turn on there's a period where you switch again to the gas being mostly ionized because the starlight is ionizing the gas but then it's it's a diffuse it's a much more diffuse universe so uh, you don't. Ha- it doesn't turn into like this fiery plasma. You get this sort of cold sort of plasma, okay, though, because huh. you have now ionized gas. So, so that that's another transition. We call that one reionization. Hmm. Um, and so, yeah. So we have these, and that's also a sort of a, a transition in space because it's a transition in time. And as we look farther and farther away, we're looking farther back in time. So you're also talking about a different spatial scale at this point because it yeah. has expanded. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Yeah, I mean that you have to factor or, that. Or which that is in. why I'm I'm just think, trying to yeah. sort of wrap my mind around mm. the early ionization phase where everything was dense. Yeah, you said, and then once the stars sort of switched on, mm-hmm. you got a second phase of reionization. Mm-hmm. But that was more diffused because there was more because the, because yeah, there's more space between okay. the stars and and the and you know the universe isn't just packed with atoms anymore you have okay. lots of space in between particles at this point um okay. but you know cool. it's it's a it's kind of it kind of messes with your head if you try and picture all this stuff because yeah when we when we talk about like these layers of of space are kind of like shells around us because as in ev- in every direction if we look far enough we're looking back in time yeah to the so if we look you know yeah, a certain that's number of, of that really billions of light years yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah so if we look you know a certain number of billions of light years straight up or straight down or whatever yeah. um we're seeing the same sort of cosmic period of time yeah and so you you can imagine these sort of layers of like sort of onion skin layers around us of yeah. different epochs wow. and so the the big bang as we see it we see the big bang because we see this leftover light from the early universe but we see it coming from every direction because if you look out far yeah. enough in any direction you can, yeah. you hit the fire yeah. <laughs> you you look yeah. back far enough that you see that fire and so we, it's like we have this ring. yeah so it's like we have this shell of fire around wow. us at at an extremely far distance and and huh. we can't see through that shell of fire so we we can't directly see what happened okay. before that but we can see wow. the patterns in the sort of distribution of matter in that in that yeah. layer around us and yeah. uh, that's called the cosmic microwave background and that lets us study what the conditions were like in the very early universe that's i mean that's just mind blowing it's yeah. fascinating and it's also the kind of stuff that that makes me want to explore more of these questions in science yeah. and it's the, it's the the cos the cosmological perspective i think that that you had referred to at some point and it's yeah and i and i wonder especially you know in the context of what our life is like right now mm-hmm. the importance of having this cosmological perspective right, in right. 2018 in you know in the us mm-hmm. uh, you know we are recording this Yeah. In October with a big election coming up and mm-hmm. and massive 
geopolitical changes happening in other places as well where life seems kind of in a, in a cultural political context it seems like there's lots of things that are not going right especially for a scientific world view and a scientific yeah. perspective yeah so i'm curious about sort of how you think this cosmological perspective can help uh people deal with the these immediate sort of stresses of what's happening in our lives well i mean i don't i don't think that just thinking about the universe is going to necessarily no. you know improve your day if if there's something really bad happening to you because of you know yeah. the environment you're in but um i think uh, broadly speaking on the whole it it can be helpful to to sort of understand this deep time and to to think about um sort of how how insignificant we humans are you yeah. know i mean this is something that, that they talk about when when astronauts uh go to space and come back they talk about they have this overview effect which yeah. is the the effect where seeing the earth from space changes how you think about humanity and changes how you think about our planet and yeah. and a lot of times when astronauts come back they say that you know they they understand the interconnectedness of all things in a way that that they didn't before you know the interconnectedness of people yeah. and and the fact that we need to protect this planet and we need to you know and that and that the divisions that people make between each other are are kind of weirdly artificial and you know yeah, like there's exactly, this sort yeah. of unity that people feel when they have that that view from from you know really far away and i think that thinking cosmologically or or even geologically you know can can really kind of, you know, allow this, you to do that yeah i kind of feel the same way when i'm looking at sort of commonalities in the evolutionary history of species that mm -hmm. we share an ancestry with mm -hmm. right so there's a, a deeper kinship when you look into the eyes of a chimpanzee or even you know further back looking at other mammals that are part of the part of our ancestral tree there's a reason why we feel sort of a connection to these species mm -hmm. and the same way i th and I, at least i think to me looking at at something like that or stepping outside even in the city at night and and looking up at what mm -hmm. stars are visible might sort of help reset the perspective a little bit mm -hmm. to be able to to maybe breathe a little and say okay you know it's not or you know, it's it's like the stresses of the day may not amount to or we make mountains out of molehills perhaps you know in terms of our Sometimes, own yeah, perspectives yeah even though the stresses are real and there are real consequences to people's sure, lives sure. uh but it is in a, as you said in a broader sense it i think it, there is some value to sort of thinking about the broader perspective yeah yeah and where human life sort of fits into the cosmic story yeah yeah i mean and and i think you know just personally i i feel like the idea that that we are so insignificant in the large picture of the universe is is sort of freeing yeah. um, because <clears throat> i mean partly because you know as much as we screw up you know the universe doesn't care yes. but but also because it it puts into perspective the the things that we can do that are amazing you know yeah. and, and yeah. i mean the the fact that we can study the big yeah. bang and we yeah. can understand how gravity works or or you know um study the expansion of the universe all these amazing things that we can do intellectually even though we are totally insignificant little creatures mm -hmm. you know on this little rock yeah. moving through space but but it also you know it kind of makes you want to you know 
I mean, as as Carl Sagan put it when he talked about this, you know, deal more kindly with one another. Like we, it makes you want exactly. to to recognize the commonality and the the fact that we're all in this together. And what this is is this extremely fragile existence in exactly, this, yeah. you know, in this spaceship Earth. You know, this yeah. this uh, tiny layer of breathable atmosphere on the on the surface of this rock. Yeah. Um, and you know that doesn't that's not going to be around forever. Yep. And uh, you know we might as well try and and not make it awful while we're here. <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. And that's and that's the part where I was saying, yeah, I agree with you that it's sort of freeing in some ways. Mm. But at the same time, it also I think gives us an a, an added responsibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because on this planet, on this rock that we've that life has evolved, that the only rock that we know that has life. Mm-hmm under this thin layer of atmosphere, we are the ones that have evolved this cognitive ability as well to understand this. Yeah. And I think the fact that with science that, that we understand both the nature of life and our, our you know, understanding more and more about the nature of the universe, mm-hmm. to me that also sort of makes it more of a responsibility for us to be able to do everything we can to be kind to each other, but to yeah. also to other life and to try and make the best of these Right, right. This cosmic opportunity we, our consciousness has to yeah, make yeah. sense of this world. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so you were talking about the, this cosmic perspective and how astronauts have talked about their change in perspective mm. when they go to space. Yeah. Which sets me up for the, the thing that I was going to ask you about is you've, mm. you've recently uh, seen and uh, reviewed the film Oh yeah, uh, the first, first, first man. man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, do you want to give us a quick review of the movie? Yeah, and, it was. And, and I want it was questions about it. It was a really interesting film because it was not about any of these lofty things at all. In it, it really, you know, I mean, there there are some movies that are you know space movies or whatever, and it's about like human achievement and and mm-hmm. and this you know amazing like perspective. And and this movie was very different from that because this movie was really just about this one person and the what he went through and the pressures he faced and how it affected him and how it affected his family and the people around him um and so it's it's a telling of of you know Neil Armstrong in the few years leading up to the first moonwalk and it's kind of just all about like the how dangerous <laughs> that whole thing was and what what it was like to be in these little capsules where nobody knew if it was really going to hold together and nobody knew if you'd make it or you'd blow up or something like that and and the kind of calm and focus that it took to mm. to deal with that and to survive that and to achieve that stuff it was it was a really interesting film from that perspective and and not mm. not about you know the glory of america getting to the moon nothing like that you know or I even mean, the glory of humanity achieving it yeah i mean not in yeah so so it was it made it clear that this was a really hard thing to do and yeah. that you know we kind of barely made it and it was you know uh, a big technological achievement and a big sort of achievement of human endurance but it but it was really just about like what it takes to to achieve anything really significant and and how that affects a person who's mm. who's then in the limelight and and examined in that way and it was, so it was it was fascinating from that perspective but it was it was sort of weirdly not about this kind of lofty perspective at oh. all 
Interesting. Because that's yeah. kind of what first comes to mind when you see the poster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, huh. yeah, it was really more about like being a, a human and <laughs> dealing yeah. with these kinds of environments, these kinds of tasks and stuff like that. So there's so. a scale thing going on there as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, was very, it felt very sort of zoomed in in that way. And, and, huh. and a lot of the film was for, sort of from the perspective of of Armstrong himself. So so there were scenes where, you know, he's in this like test airplane rocket thing and and you're just inside that with him and you don't get mm. to see from the outside. You're you're looking through that little mm. porthole and you you know the whole thing's shaking and you hear wow. the the metal creaking and it was it was a very kind of visceral experience in that way. It was wow. it was it was very interesting. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet. I really, really want to see it. Yeah, and I've, I've been going back and forth about whether to see it in IMAX or not because yeah. I've heard that it can, especially yeah, that part about being in a tin can strapped yeah, there's to a, a rocket. Lot of, yeah, there's a lot of shaking and a lot of <laughs> kind of um, flashing lights and stuff like that. And, uh. and there's a scene where there's a kind of strobe effect. So I don't know, you know, uh. how you depends on sort of your motion sickness capability yeah, uh, so susceptibility is, is there also a lot of close-ups on on his face yeah 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 so i mean there's a lot of just like watching him and his response to people wow. and to things that he's going through and stuff um it's an interesting film you know and i think that it's it's i think it's done very well i think it's very um i thought it was uh, fascinating to watch um but it's not it's not a sort of like yay america yay you know the moon kind of movie it's not that at all and it's not also not really centering on the science yeah no not not okay, really it's a human story yeah it's just it's just it's a human story and and you know there's there's some interesting stuff about like the rockets but you don't you don't mm. see a whole lot of that you're just you you know it's more about you know you're the pilot you're in this mm. capsule like you know it's more of that kind of thing so here's something i was wondering about was mm -hmm. uh I was thinking about connections to another movie that was about the mm -hmm. space program, Hidden Figures. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you from yeah, yeah. two years ago now, I think. Mm -hmm. And and there, they did show some interactions between uh, the astronauts and the black women who were mm -hmm. behind the scenes, sort of making sure a lot of uh, the computing and other work was happening. Mm -hmm. Is there any of that in this film? No, there's 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 not really much of any interaction between. Um, well, I mean, you, the only astronaut you see much about is is Armstrong. There are a couple of other astronauts who are characters in the film, but mm. but you don't learn as much about them. Um, but there's there's not the um, you don't have the interaction uh, between the astronauts and the people doing the calculations. So we've just had a f our first movie review on this f on this <laughs> yeah. podcast, I think. Uh, and maybe we can try and make it a recurring feature at some point if we, sure. if we get people talking about films. Because as we said, you know, we want this show to be about science in a cultural context. Mm -hmm. yeah. And we want science to be part of our broader conversation, yeah. cultural discourse. Uh, so we've been talking about the beginning of the universe and, and this cosmic perspective. Mm -hmm. I want to ask you now about, because you're kind of becoming the expert <laughs> at how the universe is going to end. Yeah, well, I'm writing a book about how the universe will end, mm -hmm. um, and uh, the book is called The End of Everything, and it's part written now. It's about three quarters written at the moment. You've been powering through it. I've yeah. been I've been writing fast. Yeah, I mean, this is you know we're talking rough draft, mm -hmm. so there's there's still quite a lot to do. This okay. is just like get words on paper, but um, 
But yeah, so the, the idea behind the book is to look at a few different possibilities for how the universe might end and what we would like how we're studying that as physicists and what we would see like what we would see if it happened um if we were experiencing that end of the universe but then also like how we can tell the difference between which of these things is likely to happen and and what the sort of current science tells us and, mm. and like how you even study something like that so it's it's a fun thing to work on because you know sort of ultimate cosmic catastrophe is an interesting subject Um, but it's also interesting because it brings up some of these themes about like you know we're pretty sure the universe had a beginning we're pretty sure it's going to have an end and so that kind of naturally implies that we as a species don't have a legacy in the very long term and we're mm-hmm. talking really long term right like billions and billions or trillions of years or whatever depending on well I'll talk to different... some of my ecologist friends and they'll say we may not even have a legacy in a yeah know, sure. much smaller time scales but that's a different yeah yeah but um well i mean you know i guess by that i mean even yeah, if yeah. we somehow manage yeah. to get out into the stars and and you know whatever um there's some point at which it's, it's gonna not matter and that's that's sort of a, an interesting idea to me, the idea that, that everything will come to an end. And what does that mean for us as as humans to think in those kinds of terms? And and does that change how you look at life and, and the world and meaning and all of that? So that's that's a fun thing to, to think about. Yeah. yeah, and I can sort of see that maybe going in different directions as well in terms of how mm. people might respond to this yeah, idea yeah. that ultimately nothing we do we do is going to amount to much of a dent in the universe to yeah i mean ultimate phrase yeah i mean ultimately i mean and that's the question that's yeah. that word ultimate is really yeah. important there right ultimate, um yeah. but yeah it's it's interesting how people have a kind of emotional response to the death of the universe because you know this is like on the time scales of our lives or the lives of our you know descendants many 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 generations down like it's not going to matter right for the mm-hmm. most part and yeah. like if we, so one of the one of the sort of leading ideas for the end of the universe is called the heat death and the the idea behind that is that the universe keeps expanding and expanding and expanding and getting less and less sort of populated i mean you know you have mm-hmm. more and more space in between everything and and the universe just gets cold and empty over time and then it kind of just fades away in some sense and you know when i when i give public talks about this sort of thing it it you know it's a sad story like yeah. it's I, I i tell it as yeah. a sad story and people think it's it's depressing the idea yeah. that the universe is going to kind of fade away and and die and decay mm-hmm. and it's weird that we think of that as sad you yeah. know and it's 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 interesting that that we have an emotional connection to something that's so distant. I mean, even you know, the death of the sun. People, people worry about the death of the sun. That's that's five billion or seven billion years away, mm-hmm. and people get sad about the death of the sun. I mean, this is so much more, you know, yeah, and more disconnected, the, and the we ult- still get sad about that. And this is the ultimate thing as well, because with the death of the sun, at least there is this hope people have that sure, humanity yeah. will, will we'll be somewhere else. Will be somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure about that, but uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean the Earth. To be clear, the Earth will be dead by by a billion years from now because the the sun will will expand and and boil off the oceans by at least you know by like a billion years from now at the latest. So, so we you know the Earth is is gone, but the the sun itself will will then also yeah. will then also die um, some billions of years after that. But yeah, I mean it's you know 
I guess that's part of it. I think that people think, well, maybe you know, the the end of the earth is uh, is somehow escapable. The end of mm-hmm. the universe isn't. But just also the fact that you know the idea of it sort of fading to black is mm-hmm. somehow people find that particularly sad and mm-hmm. and. That's that's interesting to me. Like why why we can have any kind of emotional response to the idea of the end of the universe, um, and where where that mm. comes from, what that means, is really interesting to me. Yeah, I wonder. If, I mean, it, it's the nature of how you tell the story, or or how we think of it as a story with a beginning and an end. Yeah, I think that's part of it. Um, and yeah, and just just the idea that like I think the thing is that as humans, we we don't like the idea that we don't go on forever yeah. and and that's really that's really the salient thing do we go on forever or not and yes. and the and and you know depending on your religious perspective you know you might have a different view of that anyway but the but you know apparently apparently if you if you tell children that the sun is going to die a lot of times depending on their age they'll get really upset about that yeah. and you know telling them like oh it's billions of years from now you'll be dead all your friends will be dead all your family will be dead that doesn't that doesn't help, help. Yeah, i can see that <laughs> um, yeah. and and it's and it's this question of you know just accepting that you don't go on forever yeah you know and, and just that you will ever end is very upsetting and and that you kind of extend that to the universe that there are things that you care about and you don't want them to end ever Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, if you're a physicist, you kind of like, well, it's hard to escape that conclusion that there things will end at some point. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I'm, but yeah, that's as as sort of the kind of feeling species we are. We we have a lot of trouble with that notion. Yeah, and I think as biologists as well, that extinction seems to be the inevitable fate of any species, anyway, mm. even on geological timescales, let alone the cosmic timescales. Mm. Right, there's very few species that have remained sort of unchanged and, and didn't go extinct in the fossil record. Right, right. And at the same time, we also, you know, on the one hand, we have this sadness about extinction and about the eventual end of the universe. But I'm also encountering it in my current work as an urban ecologist. Uh, I also encounter this sort of there's a certain amount of hubris, I think, in terms of thinking of the human time scale and our achievements in this short time scale as being of much greater significance than perhaps it is. Mm. And the reason I say that is also in the context of this these big changes that we're making on the earth and which you know people have started using the term the Anthropocene. Mm-hmm. It's a term I've used as well. Mm. But it it sort of implies that a, a large time scale of human domination on the planet mm. in a way. I mean, you, one way to look at it is that it's it's marks sort of a, a time a shift in the history of life on the planet where right. humanity and human activities became dominant enough to change the yeah. basic physical processes of the planet. Right. Which is fine. Yeah. But again, calling it the Anthropocene implies that we think it's going to last a long time. Mm. Where Whereas it could be a boundary. It could be a boundary. <laughs> event. That, that's what I think yeah. more and more of is that that, that that boundary layer that. Yeah. In fact, geologists, you know, the International Sort of Geologists Union, when they recognize the term Anthropocene, they also, there's been debate about how you mark that boundary. And mm-hmm. people have suggested, oh, maybe the, the you know, start of agriculture or settled, you know, communities, mm-hmm. things like that. But the one s- geological marker that is seen across the planet is when we started nuclear testing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we got that in our bones. Exactly. Like, our, our, our yeah, we you can, you can 
carbon tests. You can carbon date people exactly. by whether or not they were born when the nuclear testing started. Exactly. So that's weird. Yeah, that that, that yeah. is really weird. But yeah. but that also sort of marks this boundary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When yeah. the Anthropocene began, people right, say. Right. But I'm like, wait a minute. Let's see if we can actually <laughs> last long enough to call yeah, it. Is this just a blip? You know, is this, this, this going to be like an extinction boundary, like the KT boundary, or is it going to be because the way, like an era? Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. the way we are going, and the you know the mm. latest climate projections suggest that we may not have uh, much longer to to survive this and again from the from the long term evolutionary perspective mm. life will continue because it has sure. withstood much worse extinction events mm. we may Some not kind of we life. may not be yeah. around to yeah and and yeah. it might bounce back you know yeah 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 species diversity might recover it, you you'll end up with completely different beings and maybe mm. even consciousness will come come about again we don't know well, but how you define consciousness is a whole yeah, other thing. That's a whole yeah. other thing. That's yeah. a whole other thing. So lots of conversations that we can continue yeah. having here. But sure. I think, I think this is sort of a a good place. On this to cheery, to... cheerful note, yes. <laughs> we're all going to die, <laughs> and we may let's be ha- a blip in the fossil record. All right. But but let's have some fun conversations. <laughs> yeah. In the process. So yeah, in yeah. a sense, let's maybe I'll, I'll go with your idea of making this a freeing notion mm-hmm. yeah yeah and sure. that, and make this podcast about you know let's talk about yeah what we are learning how we right. are discovering these wonderful things and and maybe what solutions we can find to help make life yeah. better for us while we are around yeah yeah great great thank you I'm i think i think we've got a good start here yeah and uh well we'll call this a wrap that was our show uh, we are resuming back on a regular schedule uh, just a reminder that the original radio show continues to air in fresno's uh, on the kfcf 88.1 fm station every fourth tuesday of the month which means the next show will be next tuesday at 3:30 p.m. Uh, with local guests and uh, dr ulrike muller as the host in the studio there so i want to thank dr muller for carrying the flag in Fresno while I've I've been away and uh, also the station manager uh, uh, Rich Withers uh, and uh, my reporter and producer friend uh, Vic Bedoyan who have kept the radio show going we will bring back the archived episodes and release them on the podcast in the coming weeks and months uh, we have about a 2 year of uh, backlog uh, i also want to thank uh, the other people involved in helping us produce this show uh, the theme music you're hearing was composed by Scott Hatfield uh, who's a high school teacher in Fresno who had helped me co-create the cafe scientifique uh, over 10 years ago now and uh, and carries the flag for science education in the central valley thank you scott uh, i hope you're listening and uh, i want to thank here in the, in the studio in raleigh uh, ben zino uh who is a, a new addition to our team here he's a, a freshman student in our college uh and uh, he's the behind the scenes editor of the podcast so i guess he gets the job of cutting out stuff that doesn't come out sounding right after we've done the recording so thank you ben the the show is locally here in raleigh's i guess it's a production of sort of coming to you from the public science cluster uh, at N- at NC state and uh, it will alternate with the show 
coming to you from Fresno uh, from the KFCF 88.1 FM uh, radio station. So I, I want to say happy Thanksgiving again. Uh, hopefully uh, the conversation we had about the end of the universe and did not bum you out too much. You can go and uh, enjoy your turkey meals or or whatever non-animal-based options you might choose. Uh, remember to tune in to the next episode for of our show next week on air in Fresno if, if you live in the valley. Otherwise, you know, watch out, uh, set your fruit-based or non-fruit-based listening device, uh, subscribe to our podcast. You can do that via iTunes or via uh, whatever podcast listening uh, app of your choice. Or you can go to our website uh, at science at candle.science. Uh, we also invite you to follow us on uh, uh, Twitter, uh, where the handle is uh, at science underscore candle. Uh, we all have a Facebook page. You can find us there. Uh, and if you have any questions, if you have any follow-up thoughts or suggestions for what we might do as we regrow this show, we would be happy to hear from you. So please do uh, leave us a comment, uh, drop a tweet, uh, and, and uh, we look forward to carrying on these conversations and hopefully getting more of you involved in these chats. So uh, remember, uh, science is a verb. So happy sciencing, and we'll be back soon. Thank you.